You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome to the Breakfast Show with the Voice of Islam with Imam Jalis Khan and myself, them at the time. Is five minutes past seven. It's Friday, the fifth of January, twenty twenty-four. The first broadcast of the year on Friday uh, for the breakfast show. And as always, we have a very packed uh, broadcast uh, this morning. Uh, it is an interactive broadcast, as always. It means that our listeners have the opportunity, should they wish to avail it, to uh, to call in and share their thoughts. Uh, and views on anything that we may be discussing. Alternatively, you can uh, uh, post your uh, thoughts, your views, uh, on uh, what used to be uh, Twitter, but uh, now referred to as X, uh, and uh, share your thoughts, as I said, that way. Um, uh, the number, in case I didn't mention it, is uh, 0208-687-7878, and the uh, handle, the X handle is Voice of Islam UK. Uh, we will be exploring a variety of different subjects um, uh, this morning. Uh, in a few minutes, I will begin the rundown of the weather with Imam Jalis Khan before going on to examine some of the news stories that are circulating uh, in the uh, Amdi Muslim community and also in the wider media as well. Um, now, those familiar with the show will know that uh, we do select uh, a number of uh, stories that we uh, spend greater time on. Uh, usually it's been two, but recently we've uh, uh, gone to examine three main stories, but we now reverted back to two, just to keep you on your toes uh, for this part of the show. Uh, so uh, you'll be wondering what those uh, two main topics are. Well, we'll be kicking off with them. Um, what we would expect to be quite topical for this time of the year. And this is the, the um, well, New Year's expectations and resolutions and the like. Uh, so the title of this topic, the first topic, is Enter the New Year with Prayers, a Resolution for the Entire World. So that's the uh, title of the first topic, Enter the New Year with Prayers, a Resolution for the Entire World, inspired by His Holiness, um, Hazrat Mizar Masroor Ahmad, the head of the Amdi Muslim community. And we'll be talking um, uh, to, or we did talk to uh, uh, Rochelle Isip on this. She's a New York-based uh, productivity consultant, time management coach and author. Uh, so we'll be sharing what she had to say on this particular topic uh, with our listeners uh, during that slot, as well as uh, uh, looking at what uh, Dr. Gillian Mandich had to say. Now, Gillian Mandich is an award-winning, internationally recognized uh, happiness uh, consultant, happiness researcher, um, and she has a PhD from Western University in Health Science, uh, and the primary areas of research are of her research are happiness and health, uh, and she's also the founder of the International Happiness Institute of Health Science. So uh, we spoke to her uh, yesterday, and we'll be sharing uh, uh, what uh, interesting uh, things she had to say with our listeners during that part of the program. That's between 7:30 and 8:15. If you're interested in that uh, particular topic about New Year's resolution and happiness and uh, time management and things of that nature, then uh, please do make sure that you remain tuned in during that part of the show. 
moving on to a second topic uh, is to do something that uh, I would s suggest, and uh, most people will agree, that we are in dire need of, and that is peace. Uh, the question we are going to pose, therefore, uh, is quite simply, if there was a path to peace, would you take it? Uh, we'll be discussing this with Neil Simmons, uh, or Neil Simmons, uh, he's the campaigner on Palestine with war and want. Um, so we'll be exploring that subject uh, with him. Uh, and of course, as always, we'll be supplementing whatever we are discussing with the Islamic angle, uh, which will be delivered chiefly by our uh, resident uh, um, Imam, Imam Janis Khan. Now I've mentioned my na his name, then it's, uh, I think, best now to turn the microphone to him and uh, see what he has to offer with regard to the weather and any news items that may have caught his eye. Salaam alaikum, Jalees. Waalaikumsalam. Peace, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Uh, how are you this morning? Uh, I'm okay, thank you. It's a bit of a miserable miserable morning, isn't it? It's, it's, it's quite mm. rainy, it's, uh, it's pretty poor. Uh, I think mm. last night as well, absolutely atrocious. So, Yeah, stormy yeah. weather, wasn't it? Yes. A lot of rain. Yeah, it was, it mm. was definitely, yeah. Um, on to the weather, uh, since we are discussing uh, the, the, the topic. Um, today will mostly be cloudy across the north and east with showery spells of rain. Elsewhere in the UK, there will be brighter spells along with a few scattered showers heavier at times in Wales. Um, as for tonight, um, clearing skies for much of the west, but patchy mist and fog will form towards inland areas later on. Cloudier in the east and far north with showers, some over Wales towards dawn. We move on to Saturday. Uh, fog patches will be slow to clear, mainly across western areas, but a brighter day for many with the odd isolated shower otherwise. Mm. Cloudier in eastern England and far northern Scotland. Um, if you go towards Sunday and Tuesday um, or Sunday to Tuesday, Sunday will see mist and fog slow to clear for many in western parts of the UK. Um, under light winds, some north uh, northwestern areas could see, um, see it persist for much of the day. Uh, variable cloud elsewhere with some brightness in the south and east. Cloudier on Monday, but still some bright spells in the west. Chillier than recently for many. And a bright day on Tuesday. Dry throughout. Mm. All right. Uh, yes, it's not too pleasant, is it? No, uh, no, no, no. Okay. Absolutely not, no. <coughs> and does Scotland fare better than the rest of England? Or, I or feel, less of the UK? I, f I, I feel there are certain parts of Scotland mm. that are actually facing quite a brunt of it. Um, if you go really? to... Yeah, there, there's certain mm -hmm. parts of Fife, um, close to where I am. Mm -hmm. They're facing quite um, quite, quite a bit of um, bother over there. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think I think it's pretty bad here as well. I think I think we've got a yellow warning down south over here as well, mm -hmm. uh, close to London. Um, so yeah. Um, where is Fife? Is it in, in north of uh, Glasgow and Edinburgh? Or? Yeah, so it's um, you cross the bridge and you get to Edinburgh basically there's a bridge in Scotland yes there's quite a few actually <laughs> uh, you might be familiar the fourth road bridge maybe okay um, it's very um, iconic it's famous is it it's very famous it's on, okay. it's on notes it's, 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 it's on oh. banknotes <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and what's the, what's the speciality of this it's uh, it's, it's the longest bridge. Yes, it's, it's, it's no. It's I, I think it's extremely old, as in um, ah. what the the, the the rail bridge anyway. Um, okay. So there's a fourth road bridge and the fourth rail bridge. Oh. Um, it's, it's it's quite iconic. It kind of reminds you of the Golden Gate Bridge. 
Oh, okay. Not, not really, but... <laughs> <laughs> it reminds you of that. It reminds okay, you of that. So reminds maybe you not comparable, yeah, but it yeah, reminds you of yeah, that. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, so, what's happening in the uh, in the Amdiya Muslim community? Oh yes, absolutely. So um, I've been I've been <laughs> I've been mentioning it for the past two weeks yeah. anyway regarding the street cleans and everything. Mm. So uh, this is the, again this this is amazing. This is this is the amazing thing of um, the Ahmadiyya Youth Association and in, in in general the wider community, even the elder group and even the younger ones. Um, they all banded together and they helped out with the street clean on the first of January. So um, traditionally what we do is, or typically what um, Ahmadi Muslims do, is uh, on the 1st of January we, co- we wake up extra early to offer mm-hmm. our voluntary prayers. Mm-hmm. And after in that, congregation? In congregation, uh-huh. absolutely, yes, definitely, yeah. Um, uh-huh. And then after that we offer congregational morning prayers, which uh-huh. is called Fajr. Uh-huh. Then after that, um, maybe um, so the, the 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 area where I belong to, we had breakfast straight after uh, morning prayers. Um, amazing to see a lot of people there. You know, really uh-huh. good turnout um, from my side, um, and I'm assuming mm-hmm. it's probably the same yeah. all across the UK as well, um, all across the world actually. Uh-huh. And then uh, after breakfast, we um, we went we went down to Lewisham High Street myself, okay. and I think other people went down to their own local areas. So yeah. what we usually do is we get in contact with the council, and the council lets us know that this this area is quite good, as in in in, in, in terms of it's, it's quite busy the night before. Um, so I, th- I think it's a good target. So that's yeah, absolutely. We had uh, mm-hmm. um, ages spanning from I think uh-huh. um, nine, ten, ten-year-old uh, really? individuals helping out with the street clean, and uh-huh. uh, yeah, I think I think it was really positive feedback as well. Okay, and uh, uh, were there any visits to uh, people's uh, to old people homes? Uh, absolutely, yeah. That's uh-huh. yep. That, that, that that's what we do as well uh, uh-huh. during the the, the 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 New Year celebrations as well. So uh-huh. a few days before, or even on the day as well, we uh-huh. try to visit uh, care homes and try uh-huh. to provide as much. Um, Love and affection as we can to okay. to, to to those in need, and uh, also um, homeless shelters are visited as well, uh-huh. and they are given some sort of uh, sustenance, some sort of food as well. Okay. Uh, we try to provide them as much as we can. So yeah, definitely, this is okay. uh, we try to enter the new year uh, the same way we ended the previous. Uh, we mm-hmm. try to help the community and mm-hmm. um, the people in, mm-hmm. in in general as much as we can. Mm. Yeah. And some of these um, homes that you visit have. Mm-hmm. Uh, have people who don't get many visitors. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 so it's, you're also there to give company. Definitely, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. all right, okay. Um, right, that's uh, that's very interesting. It's happened yeah. throughout the country, isn't yes, it? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I uh, received a, a report from Dudley. Where is mm. Dudley? In Dudley's f- close to Birmingham. Oh, yeah. Is there a, um, a Dudley in Scotland? If there is, I'm not aware of one. Yeah. <laughs> there might be. There might be. I seem to think that that was uh, probably uh, your home turf, oh, but uh, not, no, no. not quite. No, not uh, quite. Not quite. Okay, it's a, bit, a few hundred miles away. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. few hundred just miles a few. Just a few. Yes. Uh, um, yes, I didn't do geography no, at okay. uh, GCSE, no, so enough. I think that shows. Fair enough. Right. Um, but I did do biology and I did mm. do uh, aspects of botany, and this this oh, wow. particular story uh, caught my eyes about. Uh, Plant-based uh, fast food. Mm. Uh, apparently, it's no, n- not healthier than uh, meat alternatives. So, certain uh, researchers have concluded uh, it was in yesterday's times. Uh, plant-based foods are no longer thought to be all the more healthier than meat, uh, according to scientists. They compared uh, fast food products in Australia, mm-hmm. Canada, Poland, Britain, and the United States and noted that there was no clear benefit in choosing veggie or plant-based alternatives to comparable meat-containing products. The plant-based meals tended to have less sodium, Mm -hmm. 
than the meat equivalents, but they had more sugar, more carbohydrates, mm. and less protein. Not only that, but uh, uh, vegetarian, not vegan meals, were more likely to have uh, more fat and saturated fat than meat-based equivalents. Generally, plant-based meals tended to contain about as many calories as the meat originals. Thus, overall, the results confirmed that you would not gain any health benefit from switching to veggie meals, and by doing so, you will not decrease the risk of diabetes and obesity. Uh, Mikolaj Kaminsky of the Potsman uh, University of Medical Sciences in Poland led this research, and he pointed out that these results serve as a reminder that plant-based foods are no guarantee to a better health. Uh, he said, and I quote, this really emphasized the importance of making informed food choices, especially when it comes to consuming fast food, even more so if you suffer from metabolic disorder uh, like uh, type 2 di- diabetes. It exposes the, exclusion, uh, the illusion that plant-based alternatives or popular fast food dishes are automatically a healthier choice. Well, it's not the case. That's basically what they're trying to say. Mm. And the study was published in the uh, journal Nutrition, and it concluded most of the products served in fast food chains are categorized as highly processed, and they should generally be avoided. However, our findings suggest that consumers should not be under the illusion that plant-based alternatives to popular fast food items will be healthier mm-hmm. for, for them simply because they lack meat. Um, so that was quite interesting because yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not too fond of uh, plant-based alternatives yeah. personally. Yeah. Um, so that's um, endorsed my, uh, my, uh, my liking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah. I think that uh, uh, the other message that I think uh, is perhaps hidden there is mm-hmm. that um, generally we should avoid fast foods uh, yeah. and have, uh, if you want a healthy diet, than to avoid it uh, as much as possible. Those yeah. people who indulge in health in uh, fast foods regularly yeah. uh, face um, uh, a deterioration in their health. Yeah. Um, so whether they take plant-based or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, I mean, you're quite young, so you don't suffer from these kind of things. But um, but people uh, who are, uh, let's say, in uh, in later years of their lives. Uh, tend to suffer from poor memory. Hmm. Now, poor memory in later years, uh, apparently, according to scientists, can be traced back to poor sleep in earlier years. So this uh, happens to be an interesting story about the deterioration of our memories when we get to old age. Apparently, uh, as mentioned, it can be tracked back to bad sleep in earlier years. A study has found that poor sleep in your 30s and 40s, so you better watch out. Hmm. You know, poor sleep in uh, in your time of life yeah. is linked to problems a decade later. Oh. And uh, those with most disrupted sleep uh, were more than twice as likely to have poor cognitive performance as those with the least disrupted sleep. And the quality of sleep was more important than the quantity of sleep. Mm-hmm. And the research was published in Neurology, the Medical Journal of American Academy of Neurology. And uh, I think... Um, it was perhaps um, also um, uh, uh, there was collaboration with uh, the Alzheimer's Research UK as well. But whether that was the case or not, but their head, Dr. Susan Mitchell, said that many of us have experienced a bad night's sleep and know it can have an impact on our memory and thinking in the short term. But there's still gaps in our knowledge around whether sleep disturbances midlife 
can increase our risk of developing dementia in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, previous studies suggest that how long we sleep each night can affect dementia risk, but less is known about disrupted sleeping patterns. So this study uh, gives us interesting insight into how uh, this may affect cognitive function later on in life. While, and she added, while there is no sure fire way to uh, prevent dementia, there are things within our control that can reduce our risk, including uh, keeping active, challenging our brains, and keeping connected to the people around us. It, uh, it's never too early for uh, or late to start making positive changes. And when it comes to uh, sleep, we know, um, I think the Holy Prophet's uh, practice was to go to bed early mm, yep. and to uh, get up uh, in uh, the early part of the night. Definitely. And then uh, have a little rest and then get up for the uh, morning prayers. And then have a siesta in the afternoon, yep. wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. So yeah. perhaps that's the ideal pattern to adopt uh, when we are when we are sleeping. Definitely. So it wasn't a single eight-hour, seven-hour yeah. uh, track. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. No. I believe um, they say that having a siesta during during the day as well is very mm. beneficial for your brain as well and your mm. mental health as well. Okay, right. So I have many siestas. I've been in my chair, so at all times. Um, uh, have you been keeping up with sports and the dark sensation? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I had in mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. what what did you make of it? This sixteen-year-old <sighs> Luke Little. Amazing, absolutely amazing. He, yeah. yeah, he he walked away with uh, two hundred thousand pounds. He I, did, yeah. Um, I don't know how much he's going to see of it, but uh, I, th- I think half of it is going to be taken um, taken away by taxes. Is it so? Yeah, taxes. Yeah, I think he'd be left with 116,000 maybe, roughly, give or take. I think that's what they're estimating. I don't know if that's okay. the actuality, but yes, taxes will take away. A so winnings sum. are taxed, are they? Yes, yes they are. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the winner of the tournament, he, he received um, 500,000 pounds. So it's, it's, it's mm. not bad. Luke are Humphreys, you? yeah. Yeah, Luke Humphreys, yeah. yeah. So the, sorry, the, the, the runner-up, um, the 16-year-old, was uh, Luke Littler, um, yeah. just, just, just for those people who didn't know. But I think he's... Yeah. Uh, he's He's all the all the rage nowadays. Um, I think uh, he's, he's he's taken the taken the world by storm, as in the, he's yeah. all over social media. Mm. But uh, are you have have you play, have you ever played darts? Ever? I played darts. I'm not very good. Not very good. Right. Okay, fair enough. But his his diet is quite interesting. He does not he doesn't seem to be a fan of plant based foods. He's he, uh, oh, but his eggs for breakfast, pizza for lunch, <laughs> and uh, a donor in the evening. I think that's so, a typical uh, diet so, of a dart player, though. <laughs> So that's, and then I think he also, I can't remember now whether I saw him drinking beer or not. Is he underage for drinking beer? Uh, but anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, I don't think there'll be uh, many health companies seeking his endorsements. Uh, yeah. But an avalanche of food outlets, uh, fast food outlets, I'm sure, Probably. would be giving up for him yeah. uh, instead. Definitely. Definitely. Mm. So that was quite interesting. Um the other thing that's uh, come up uh, is uh, what's expected this year. I think we're going to have, it's likely that we're going to have two elections. One is the uh, mm. uh, American uh, elections. Uh, they're destined to choose between the current Democratic uh, incumbent, uh, Joe Biden, and his uh, resurgent uh, Republican challenger, Donald Trump. Mm. And both are likely to be, uh, secure their party's nominations. Mm-hmm. But... Um, um, and, and there's going to be a face-off in, in November. Yeah. Uh, and it seems to indicate, I mean, polls seem to indicate at the moment that Mr. Trump will win and he'll be back yeah. in the White House. And um, so that is, uh, if um, 
uh, he's able to overcome the um, barrage of court cases that have yeah. that have been lined up against him, but they don't seem to be having much effect. Um, the only other uh, possibility, although I think it's unlikely, is that uh, commentators are saying that uh, the former U.S. ambassador Nikki Haley mm-hmm. uh, is uh, picking up momentum. Oh, really? but she's yeah, but she's far behind yeah. apparently. Uh, the uh, the gap between. Mr. Trump and anybody, or President Trump and anybody mm-hmm. else is, is, is vast, so mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be uh, uh, any serious uh, challenger to overhaul uh, Mr. Trump's uh, mm-hmm. bid, unless uh, he's, he's stopped by the courts, as I said. Yeah. So that's the other thing. And then as far as um, we are concerned, uh, in uh, the UK... Yeah. Well, it's uh, Mr. Sunak versus uh, Mr. Starmer, yeah. although we don't have the same kind of system. Yeah. Um, Mr. Sunak yesterday all but ruled out an election during the first half of the year. So that's led to speculation that this will be in the summer or late November. And Mr. Sunak said that he was working on the assumption that he will hold the general election in the second half of the year. Uh, and the latest days when he can hold the election is the 20th of January 2025, so he can uh, tip over to the following year. Yeah. But he's got, you know, he's, he's got 12, 12, 13 months only. Yeah. And the Prime Minister had made the, that announcement about the election to broadcast on a visit to a youth centre in Mansfield. Mm. And he added, I've got lots that I want to get on with. I want to keep going, managing the economy well and cutting people's taxes. But I also want to keep tackling illegal migration. I'm determined to keep delivering uh, for the British people, he said. Mm. And the polls indicate uh, he's got his work cut out and they're way behind Labour. And the longer they stave off the election, the greater the chance, at least. This is Mm. their thinking of turning things around Mm -hmm. because the economy is is looking better. Inflation is going down. Uh, Interest rates are likely to go down. Um, you know, uh, what is it, um, energy prices are also going down, so um, he may have a, he may mm-hmm. have a chance. Uh, his rival, a Labour leader, Keir Starmer, uh, can't have an election too soon. Uh, he's itching to have the election sooner rather than later, yeah. simply because the polls are showing his party are way ahead. And uh, yesterday in a speech in Bristol, Sakir set out that uh, what he called the project hope for downtrodden Britain. He said, uh, the public are right to be anti-Westminster after 14 years of conservative rule, but added his party was offering a decade of national renewal. Uh, so in a dividing line with the conservatives, he signaled he would wait to grow the economy before cutting taxes. Um, apparently, there's a lot of criticism about uh, Labour that they are just... Um, a conservative light. Uh, they yep. haven't got yeah. any uh, distinguishing yeah. uh, policies that uh, make them different to conservative. And uh, yeah. much of their uh, vote base currently uh, is due to the fact that um, there are uh, they have the possibility of winning, and they're not conservatives. Yeah. Anybody there, uh, anybody as an alternative, would have. Uh, sort that vote yeah. away from the Conservatives. But we'll see. Uh, Scotland is very 
empty Conservatives, isn't it? They've only, we've only got one seat. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very limited. I think there's more Labour. Uh, yeah. Labour's got a decent stronghold but over SNP, there. Uh, SNP uh, are good. Yeah. SNP are good right yeah. now. And I believe that um, Hamza Youssef is doing a decent job over there. He's not doing yeah. bad. Um, um, but yeah, I think I think he has. Uh, he's trying slowly winning the people over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. So he's winning this. Yeah. Uh, although um, they are. Um, was there a by-election there? They didn't win that by-election, did they? Uh, I think Labour got that one. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, initially, so yeah. So they have got a, yeah. a fight on their hands. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do definitely. Yeah, um, especially after uh, Nicola Sturgeon's um, yeah. um, exposal. And yeah, yes. Yeah. So yeah. definitely, yeah. Um, there is uh, one last story. I think we've got a minute or so. It's about anti-bi- antibiotic-resistant bugs causing that. The use of antibiotics are not all that they are meant to be. Uh, the use is causing an increase of bacteria that are becoming resistant, leading to medical companies coming up with stronger antibiotics, which in turn are causing the rise of even stronger, more resistant bugs emerging. This cycle appears to be never-ending, and in recent years there has been a move to reduce the use of antibiotics for minor infections to slow down this cycle. Figures show, and these are not too recent, but uh, the latest figures that are, uh, that are available show that 1.2 million people died uh, worldwide from infections caused by bacteria who were resistant to antibiotics, uh, which is more than the annual death toll from malaria and AIDS, and inevitably poor countries are worse affected. UK uh, health officials warned that antimicrobial resistance, AMR for short, was a hidden pandemic that w- could emerge in the wake of COVID-19 unless antibiotics were prescribed responsibly. Most of the deaths from AMR were caused by lower respiratory infections, such as pneumonia and bloodstream infections, which can lead to sepsis. MRSA was particularly deadly, while E. coli and several other bacteria were also linked to high levels of drug resistance. Uh, And using patient records from hospital studies and other data sources, the researchers say young children are most at risk, with about one in five deaths linked to AMR, being among uh, the under five. So what's the answer? Well, uh, Dr. Ramanan uh, from the Center of Disease Dynamics, Economics and Policy based in Washington said global spending on addressing uh, AMR needed to rise to levels seen for other diseases, he declared. And this is a quote for him. Spending needs to be directed to preventing infections in the first place making sure existing antibiotics are used appropriately and judiciously, and to bringing new antibiotics to market. Well, his last remedy, this uh, bringing new antibiotics to market, uh, appears to be realized with the news reported earlier this week of a new class of antibiotics that could treat lethal hospital infections. The new uh, compound, zosorabaplin, uh, has worked extremely well on trials on animals and scientific director of Global Antibiotic Research and Development Partnership, Professor Laura Piddock, said that it uh, is uh, gives definite hope for hard-to-treat infections. So there is uh, some hope for us uh, in the future when it comes to treating infections. Mm-hmm. Uh, although... Uh, there are alternative ways, uh, I suppose, those people who indulge in 
alternative medicine would cite uh, different methods in order to tackle infections. Homeopaths in particular yep. uh, would perhaps give a different uh, approach uh, to dealing with infections other than uh, bombarding uh, our bugs with, uh, with chemicals. Uh, that make them more resistant, and then we have to imp- uh, devise uh, new chemicals uh, that uh, would try and eradicate um, those bugs. Anyway, uh, enough of that. We need to press on because it's uh, 7.33, and we need to get on to uh, the first of our main stories, and it is about... Um, Resolutions. Uh, the title is Enter the New Year with Prayers, a, a resolution for the entire world. Um, now, the gist that has been mentioned here, this is something that we picked up from the Review of Religions website. Uh, we are creatures of habit. Uh, between a third and half of our behavior is habitual. According to uh, research estimates, uh, unfortunately, our bad habits uh, compromise our health, wealth, and happiness. On average, it takes 66 days to form a habit, but positive behavioral change is harder than self-help books would have us believe. Only 40% of people can sustain their New Year's resolutions uh, after six months, while only 20% of dieters maintain long-term weight loss. I find that very high, Mm. at least 40%, sustain their New Year's resolution after six months. I find that very, very high. (laughs) I would have thought... Much less. uh, Yeah, Yeah. it would be perhaps a a trickle. Um, Anyway, um, if um, you're on social media or have smartphone, you probably uh, got notification prompting you to take a look at a montage of your activity over the past year, Mm. whether it's your posts or pictures, um, it's an opportunity to reflect and rekindle memories. Then there are the New Year's resolutions, which uh, many seem to make but hardly fulfill. A study show at 80% of New Year's resolutions end up failing. Uh, regardless, New Year's repre- represents a time of reflecting and looking forward. Uh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's, it's, uh, it does represent time of reflecting and mm-hmm. looking forward. Yeah. As far as resolutions are concerned, but as Muslims, um, we are we are um, taught to constantly um, improve ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. whole spirit behind uh, yeah. jihad, isn't it? Definitely, so, definitely, to yeah. strive and to just improve yourself. Mm. And uh, this this improval, this 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 the sense of um, striving into to, to better yourself is not just for yourself in general but it's for other people to look at you as well mm. and to be more or less motivated as well and that's exactly what this um, this statement of um, there's, a, there's a verse of the Holy Quran where it says Fastabuk al khairat that strive and work hard in, mm. in, in goodness yeah. and this and this um, this verse encompasses other things as well and it's not just about your individual um, in betterment but it's, 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 it's a communal thing it's, 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 it's something that you would take your community with you as well yeah. um, so definitely I think I think this is, this, this, is, this is one aspect that Islam kind of expands on and it kind of um, widens the scope a little bit and not just to betterment yourself but also um, continuously improve yourself but also help those who need help mm. um, to, to, to better themselves as well mm. and it's not something that Muslims would engage in 
just at the turn of the year or generally uh, on a daily basis. But they would also, it's also something that is uh, behind the um, spirit of uh, the month of fasting, isn't it? Yeah. It's not just about abstaining from food and drink. That yeah. is also a month where you try and engender an improvement. Your fast is nullified, yeah. you were told, if you engage in yeah. sin. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and uh, so you are encouraged to uh, uh, in, uh, participate in more good habits or yeah. good things. Yeah. And it's you uh, what you may be doing that uh, is perhaps not so good. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're supposed to come out at the end of Ramadan a better person than yeah. you were when you, uh, yeah. when you started. Yeah. A new, yeah. a newborn baby as of sorts. Yes. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think I think it's very. And then you start the next year at a higher level. Exactly. That's what exactly. You're to every do. single year you're improving. Every, mm. every every turn of the year you're improving, and that's exactly mm. what Islam expands on. And what you said was very interesting, actually. Mm. That it takes sixty-six days for a habit to become concrete. Um, to become just just a part of you, mm. I, th- I, th- I think this notion is varied. I think some people even say it's thirty days or twenty-eight days, or I think it go. I, th- I think it varies, but sixty-six days is is, is, is a genuine. Um, um, I, I would say overall general opinion of most people is 60, 60 days roughly. Mm-hmm. It does take um, um, like habit begins to sh- take shape into becoming uh, like a, a permanent fixture in your in your personality and your behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is so, so. So the thirty days of uh, of Ramadan, of, uh, of 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 fasting and improving yourself. If you just spend a little bit longer um, improving yourself even further, you can make yourself even better. It's just it's it's, 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 it's complete. It's a cycle. Every single year, you try to improve yourself and to make that level uh, go a little bit higher. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there is this uh, note as well, uh, according to this website, that there are five ways to help you keep. Your New Year's resolutions. So any resolutions, whether it's New Year or uh, during any other part of the year, uh, these are uh, ways that could perhaps help you adhere to those uh, changes that you want to make that will engender improvement. So the first one is prioritize your goals. Secondly, change routines. Thirdly, monitor behavior. Uh, Fourthly, imagine your future self. And fifthly, set goals and deadlines. So... If you do all that, then uh, there's a greater likelihood that you'll be able to keep uh, your uh, your resolutions mm-hmm. than otherwise. Yeah. Um, there's also this thing about education. Education does not effectively promote behavioral change. A review of 47 studies found that it's relatively easy to change a person's goals and intentions, but it's much harder to change how they behave. Strong habits are often activated unconsciously in response to social or environmental cues. For example, we go to the supermarket about 211 times a year, but most of our purchases are habitual. Now that is quite interesting. Uh, Well, uh, I had the opportunity to speak to um, Rochelle uh, Isip uh, and... uh, just want to share what she had to say on uh, matters relating to this particular subject. Uh, but before that, did you want to mention anything? I think I, I, I think we can talk about it after the the, the oh, okay. record. Yeah, I, th- I think okay. we could. Yeah. All right. Let's yeah. let's hear what she had to say. Yeah. We have the pleasure of uh, Rochelle uh, Isip, uh, who has joined us by a telephone from the United States. Rochelle, thank you for coming on to speak to us. Tell me, uh, what are some common pitfalls uh, people face when? 
making New Year's resolutions and, and how can they overcome them? Yeah, some of the common pitfalls that people face when they make New Year's resolutions is that they make their goals or resolutions too broad. Um, they'll say things like, I want to be more healthy in the new year or I want to be more organized. But that's not very helpful for us when we're trying to set a goal and reach it. So a better way of going about setting those resolutions is to make sure that your goals are smart, and that means that they are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-based. So the idea here is to create goals that have all the information you need um, in order to you know, reach your bigger resolution. So in the case of, you know, I want to be more healthy or I want to exercise in the new year, you might make a goal that is you'll go for a walk uh, 30 minutes every day um, for five days, you know, five days out of the week, and you'll do that walking in the park, and you'll do it in a certain time frame. Um, and you want to make progress by, let's say, the 30th of March, you know, to make sure that you're keeping to that routine. So really the idea here is to make sure that you're being very specific and intentional in your goals, um, and you'll be really better off because you'll have a, um, a clearer path towards actually reaching that resolution. And uh, how can you make sure that you're not too ambitious uh, so that within days you are not able to achieve what you've set out and you then uh, 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 descend into despair? Right, right. Yeah, that, this, is, this is a big thing that uh, we all face, right? Because we can create goals and that works fine on paper, but then there's the real world and things happen, you know, our our days, our nights, um, the seasons of the year, things change, things happen. So what I like to tell my clients and the people that I work with is that when you're doing this work, when you're doing this creation of new habits, go easy on yourself. You know, we're all trying to do our best and instead of, you know, putting yourself down for a day that didn't go well, just let it go. You know, you can say, okay, this session, this day, this morning, this afternoon didn't go to plan and that's okay, but let me review what happened and just accept it and make a plan to move on, um, you know, the next day and the day after that um, from a clean slate. Um, I think, you know, that's where people tend to get tripped up. They make a mistake and they just hold on to it and then they can't see their way forward. So the more compassionate and gentle we can be with ourselves, um, the better, because it really is all about progress and not so much perfection. Mm. Can you be over-compassionate, become too complacent? Yes, yes. Um, you know, the, the compassion also can be um, when you're doing your work, when you have your goal, and let's say you can't necessarily do that 30 minutes of exercise. Maybe you only have five minutes or 10 minutes. Mm. You know, that is an opportunity for you to still move ahead and do the best that you can in that situation. Um, you know, the other day I wanted to go for a walk and I just was not feeling the 30 minutes, um, but we went out and we did, um, you know, five to 10 minutes worth and that was something that was better than nothing. You know, I still got out, got some exercise and, you know, that can just 
add to the sense of you know self um, satisfaction hmm. and inspiration because I did go out <laughs> in the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, from a productivity standpoint, how can people effectively prioritize and plan for the New Year's goals? Yes. For when it comes to planning and prioritizing, I recommend to people that they actually sit down, you know, without any distractions, put away your phone, turn off the TV, turn off the radio, um, and just think for a moment about what it is that you'd like to create for yourself in the new year. And, you know, get a piece of paper out, get a pen, and just start writing things down. And then when it comes to actually planning this into your day, make sure that you're doing little steps, you know, throughout the day, maybe little check-ins for yourself, you know. Um, would it be helpful for you to have a reminder about when you're going out for your walk, let's say? Um, would it be helpful for you to actually schedule it into your calendar? Or, you know, would it be helpful for you to do a mini review, let's say, at the end of the week to see how you did um, with your routine or goals? You know, it's all about creating the time in the space for you to think, act, and then reflect on the goals that you've set for yourself. Hmm. Um. Uh, are they? I mean, from um, are they mindfulness or mindset techniques that can support individuals in making lasting changes in the new year? Yes, people can really make a lot of shifts when it comes to making changes. Um, I think one of the things that people should practice is self-awareness and being mindful of where you are in a moment of time, and to recognize your patterns, um, thoughts, beliefs, and things that come up just throughout the day. Um, you know, going back to the example of walking, um, you know, if you are going through the day and you realize you're getting stressed out and you think you don't want to go for walking, that's a moment right there to catch yourself and say, what's going on right now? Oh, I'm feeling stressed. Okay. Um, what do I want to do about that? Do I want to go forward um, with my walk? Do I want to continue what I'm doing now and being stressed? And to make, you know, a mindful decision about your next move as opposed to just continuing on in that cycle. So I think, you know, taking that step back even a minute, you know, five minutes just to stop what you're doing and think, okay, what's, what's going on here can be really helpful for people. Mm. Right. And what role does, um, we mentioned self-compassion uh, before, but uh, what role do you think it plays in the success of New Year's resolutions? And how, how can people cultivate it properly? Yeah, I think self-compassion is absolutely essential when it comes to New Year's resolutions. You know, we set, we tend to set the bar really high for ourselves. You know, we want, we want great things for ourselves and our families and our friends and our communities. And the idea of being perfect or doing things 100% all of the time just really isn't realistic. And as I mentioned before, you know, showing that self-compassion to yourself, you know, if a day didn't go as planned, you know, to recognize that and just say, I had a rough day and I'm not going to let that um, you know, take over the rest of my day or my week, and I'm just going to move forward from that. You know, I did the best that I could. Um, this is the decisions that I made. These are the actions that I took. 
and, um, you know, just to move forward with that. And I think another way that people can, you know, generate, um, you know, more self-compassion and awareness is to keep a journal, right, of what you've accomplished. And it can be small things, you know, it could be, I went out for that walk when I wasn't feeling like it, mm. or I, I, I did those five minutes of walking, or I decided to, you know, go for a walk to the bank today instead of driving. You know, that those are pieces of progress that should be acknowledged. And I think the more that we can bring that forward into our daily awareness, you know, the more that we'll see, wow, you know, I really am making progress. It's not, you know, I've set my goal, but just because I didn't necessarily reach that goal every single day doesn't mean I wasn't moving forward. So, you know, I think keeping, you know, either a journal or writing little notes in your calendar of what took place that day, things that you're proud of, um, can be really helpful for folks. Hmm. Um, I know tell me that you're a productivity and goals uh, setting expert. Uh, now, as such, uh, what advice do you have for individuals striving to make positive changes in the coming year? Yes. Um, you know, for making those positive changes, I think there is a component of stillness that should be practiced. So, you know, we're always on the go and moving. Um, I think sometimes just taking, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes to either meditate or just sit quietly um, can help because we need that time out to separate ourselves from our regular daily routines. So, you know, if, if this is something that you've not tried before, you know, give it, a sh- give it a shot. Give it a try. You can set a timer on your phone. You can start slow. You can start for... 15 seconds, 30 seconds, work up to a minute, work up to two minutes, three minutes. Um, but just to sit and really just be and just, you know, feel into that moment because, you know, understanding the difference between action and inaction is very helpful when it comes to our whole process of well-being. And the better you can understand the difference between the two and the experience, um, I think that will be very helpful and eye-opening for people when it comes to actually taking that forward motion and movement towards their goals. Hmm. I understand. Uh, I'm told that you're also the founder and president of the Order Experts. Can you tell us a bit about this company and what it does? Sure. Sure. So um, my company is the Order Experts, and um, I help entrepreneurs, small business owners, and professionals Um, effectively manage their time Mm -hmm. and resources so that they can stress less, get more done, and make more money. So the idea behind this really is to help people um, find better ways to work more efficiently and effectively on a regular basis. So this means managing their workload, planning out their schedule, managing their time, finding ways to better organize themselves, And, you know, my goal really is to help people understand that they have so much power Mm -hmm. and so much that they can do for themselves to cultivate a better work-life balance. Um, You know, obviously we all have, um, you know, um, issues and challenges and things that we face, but we do have a lot of power um, when it comes to how we work, um, Mm -hmm. how we show up, how we spend our energy throughout the day, week, and year. So, you know, it's, it's really my goal to show people that, hey, 
you can turn things around. You can change things. You know, you can be more comfortable than where you are right now. And we can do it in a way that's fun and that fits your natural personality and habits and tendencies and uh, all of that. Mm-hmm. And do you find you, you're able to make a difference? Is there growing demand for your services? Yes, yes. I've worked with people um, you know, who have come to me and they've been completely overwhelmed with their schedules. They, they feel tired, worn out, burned out, burned out. And in working with them, you know, over the course of several weeks and months, um, you know, they get a better awareness of, hey, I, I can make these choices. I can set boundaries for myself. I can say no. Um, and the transformation is really just quite magical because I'll see people who, who just look so drained and tired and overwhelmed. And after we've worked with each other, you can just see this physical transformation, uh, transformation, they just seem much more lighter and energized and happier. So, you know, that's, you know, an example of what can happen because of um, these people getting that self-awareness of themselves and the changes that they can make in their own lives. Great stuff. I mean, thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming on to speak to us. It's been very interesting. Uh, grateful for your contribution. Wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much. Right, so um, that was uh, Rachel Isip, a uh, New York uh, City-based productivity consultant, time management coach, and uh, founder of uh, The Order Expert, a company that provides live online support uh, in uh, virtual productivity consulting, time management coaching, training, presenting, and speaking services. Uh, um, Imam Talis, is there, what's the Islamic angle to all this? Is there yeah. something that you can... Uh, uh, add us add to that what we've been discussing of course of course um just just before i get too deep into this um i think I, th- I think it's worth taking a look at what we have during the year what we kind of expect and what we actually go through so we can see that easily after 12 months pass um, we we what, you, what we tend to do is spend our time and uh, world worldly and uh, worldly and uh, um uh, uh, leisurely activities and we spend our days and months and even sometimes years in worldly affairs and interests and uh, the worldly people whether they are Muslims or even if they're non-Muslims they start the year um, with full of enthusiasm you know um, whether it's um, in the western world or, or anywhere else and uh, the New Year's Eve in general is celebrated with great pomp and great enthusiasm and great zeal and with a lot of activities, as we are aware of the fireworks that happen all over the world. Um, and people stay awake every night and spend their time partying and possibly even consuming alcohol. And this is how we conclude the year. We conclude the year with sur- such immoral activities. We, we, we delve into the worldliness of, of what it is. And we've, we've made into such a tradition where we just spend our time in this sort of um, more or less meaningless um, meaningless activities because we're just more or less just um, spending our time partying and just kind of um, letting the worldly or the the greater um, things that are happening in the world uh, more important or maybe even dire needs of the world we we, we kind of forget them and this is this is um, this may, may, maybe to someone else maybe maybe those people who are living in less fortunate areas maybe the developing world um, maybe to them this is this is this is horrible because uh, we 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 are celebrating we we are celebrating the end of the year and we're we're going into the new one. 
and um, some of us haven't even made a difference into ourselves. And I've, I know I'm aware of this, 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 this kind of notion that these New Year resolutions and whatnot. We are discussing it right now as well. Um, this is the topic. Um, but this is the, this is a general consensus that those people who actually tell and openly um, tell their people that this is my New Year's resolution, those individuals don't actually meet their New Year's resolution. They don't actually fulfil them. Um, and that is why um, us as Muslims, what we what we practice, what we do, we, what we what we try to do is try to end the year um, as we as we started it. We 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 start the year as we have ended it. Sorry, and uh, and uh, we 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 try to remember the Creator. We remember, we try to remember the Creator, and we try to remember the creation as well. And that is why we try to help as much as possible to the. Um, to, to to those people who actually need it in the wider community and in, and in general, no matter um, what colour or creed they are from, um, and we try our best to do this. Um, we start our uh, mornings with prayer, voluntary prayer, and then our compulsory prayer, and we go out and we try our best to help those in need. We we try to help the community, and this is how we start the year. And again, this is how we end the year as well. We try to do the same thing, and throughout the year, we try to continue this. Um, Thus, this is, it, it, it is if if thus if we if, if we do spend our night um, or the last night of the previous year and the and the New Year's Day as well of the New Year, pondering over our spiritual conditions and spending uh, time supplicating towards God Almighty, then we will be the ones who will be working towards a good life hereafter. And if we also indulge in worldly wishes and affairs, then we will lose a lot and gain nothing. We see that there is something that. Something that uh, Miss Rochelle actually mentioned, and I think I'll, I I will jump I, I I will try to mention it further in the next uh, after after the news as well. Um, but this is something that um, there's a psychotherapist uh, Jonathan Alpert, um, American psychotherapist. He mentioned um, that he has kind of discussed as well, um, and it's this Jack in the Box type trap, where if we are not reminded of um, the things that we need to do, for example, are New Year's resolutions, um, then we kind of go back into this um, the shape of a of a jack of the j- 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 of, of the jack in the box shape. Uh, we kind of jump out um, and we kind of stay in that shape. So um, this is something that this uh, psychotherapist has actually mentioned, and I will I'll kind of delve into into how the Holy Quran and even the um, so our 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 caliphs have actually mentioned this um, regarding this jack in the box trap that we kind of um, put ourselves into, where in the beginning we have great enthusiasm and great pomp and zeal that we're going to lose weight, we're going to cut down on junk food, or we're going to read more. And eventually, um, as the first week goes by, we kind of go back into this uh, this slinky shape, this kind of lazy shape of this jack-in-the-box, where as soon as the jack-in-the-box is released, we are back to our old and... um, Lazy and usual ways, as 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 we spend our days normally. Um, so I will try to delve um, upon this further after the news. Okay, yeah, we may be a push for time for that, uh, but we'll see what we can do uh, because uh, we have another uh, clip to share. Uh, but uh, do stay with us uh, when we'll continue discussing this particular topic. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording. 
and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show of the Voice of Islam. With Imam Dalis Khan and myself, Walid Ahmed. The time is two minutes past eight. It's uh, Friday the 5th of this, uh, January 2024. Um, and we were, as mentioned before the break, discussing this issue about New Year's resolutions and the like. Uh, we spoke uh, to Dr. Um, Jillian Mandich uh, earlier, and this is what she had to say about aspects relating to this particular topic. I'm pleased to know that we have Dr. Jillian Mandich on the line with us. Uh, Dr. Mandich is an award-winning, internationally recognized happiness researcher, uh, speaker, educator, and author with a PhD from Western University in Health Science. Dr. Jillian's primary areas of research are happiness and health. Dr. Mandich, what a wonderful area of research. Thank you very much for coming on to speak to us today. Tell me, how can individuals set realistic and achievable New Year's resolutions? Because that's what one of the things we're discussing. This, this is it, right? It's, it's a big conversation at this time of year, and so many people every year set resolutions, and then like we see a lot of times, they aren't often continued beyond a week or a couple weeks. And so if we think, okay, well, how do we set ourselves up for success? It's exactly what you said, right? It's about being realistic, making sure that things are, are sort of achievable. And so I think one of the big things that we often forget about is we set goals, especially when we think about years resolutions, we're, we're in this mindset of like our best possible self, right? We're on a Sunday afternoon or something at home and we're thinking about, okay, this week after I'm done a full day of work, I'm going to stop at the gym and I'm going to go for a workout. When sort of the, the energy that we feel and the mindset that we have at say 4.30 p.m. on a Tuesday is very different than when we're aspirationally planning on a Sunday. And so one of the things that we can do to be realistic is to wait until we're in a similar mood as to when we would actually carry out that behavior and really think about it then because sometimes I think we forget how we're actually going to feel in the future and we just sort of want to believe that, you know, we're going to be that person full of energy at 3 p.m. on a Thursday, you know? Mm-hmm. Are there, would you say there's specific strategies that can be employed to enable people to stay motivated and committed to the resolutions throughout the year? Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that people can do is um, what's often referred to as solving the middle problem. So Dr. Eilat Fishbach um, from the University of Chicago, she discovered this problem that we have when we try to reach our goals, where we experience a high level of motivation at the beginning, like when we set our goal, and then right at the end when we're reaching the goal. But we see a drop in the middle part from getting from point A to point B. Mm. And so that middle part is a problem because our motivation isn't as high during that time. So given that, a couple things that we can do are try to make our middle shorter. So if our goal is, you know, this year I want to meditate, for example, instead of setting the goal for a year, say, you know, for the first week, for the first month, because the middle is a lot smaller if you're setting a goal for a week versus a month, and then you can kind of build from there. And the other thing that we can do is really celebrate our progress along the way. Because I think especially, you know, with happiness or with when we're, we're thinking about something that we want to achieve, we fail to notice all the good things that happen along the way. And when we can actually stop to sort of celebrate some of those small wins, it can actually also help to enhance our motivation as we work towards our greater goal. Mm, that makes sense. Um, can you provide some insights into the science behind forming new habits, especially when related to resolutions? Yeah, you know, and sometimes I'm often asked a question similar. It's like, why do we set New Year's resolutions? What is it about the new year that, you know, people feel inclined to set resolutions? And so there's this concept in psychology, which is called the fresh start effect. 
And basically, when we have landmarks um, that demarcate the passage of time, so whether that be the beginning of a new year, the end of the last one, whether it is maybe your birthday, the first of a month, the beginning of a week, when we have these sort of mental markers that separate sort of a new beginning, a blank chapter, it gives us sort of hope and optimism that, hey, this is a good opportunity to start to make a shift. And so when we think about resolutions, especially in the idea of, you know, why do we form new habits then? It's because we sort of come into it with that mindset and um, taking that and then sort of like I was talking about, being aware that our motivation wanes, um, but really using that information to equip us so that we can sort of set ourselves up for success. Hmm. Would you say there's an innate desire, an instinct within human beings to try and improve themselves all the time? Um, Well, so what's interesting is when we, when we think about happiness in particular, it's, it's sort of an umbrella term, but there's different types of happiness. So there's what we call hedonic happiness. So that's sort of the chocolate cake, that's the you know um, immediate hit when you are eating your favorite food or you're doing your favorite activity. And then there's this other type of happiness, which is called eudaimonic, which is more deeper meaning, purpose, legacy. And a lot of those things require more effort. It's not just an immediate gratification. And what we see is that a lot of um, sort of our behaviors and the pursuit towards a bigger goal is often more rewarding in terms of our happiness. So while those small, easy things may feel good in the moment, what actually feels better overall is having that pursuit, having that goal, having things that we're working towards and the progress as we work towards it, especially if we celebrate the small wins along the way, is a really good way for us to to tap into some of our sort of deeper um, levels of happiness. Hmm. Are there any particular resolutions uh, that tend to have higher success rates and why might that be the case? Mm, this is a good question. And you know, we think about what are the typical resolutions that people make and we see a lot of, you know, fitness, physical activity related goals. We see a lot of nutrition related goals, weight loss goals, and we see a lot of financial goals. Um, but when we look in terms of having the highest success rates, like you asked, um, there it's not so much about the topic in particular, um, but it's about the different type of goal that we set. So there's a paper that was published in 2016 in the Journal of Management Science. And what they found was that people are more likely to pursue aspirational behaviors. So sort of something that they want to do as opposed to taking something away. So if I'm going to do something, I'm going to start meditating versus I'm going to stop smoking. So when we have things that are more additive as opposed to something we have to stop or force or push away, those type of goals tend to be more successful. Mm-hmm. And um, how would you say people can bounce back and recommit to their resolutions if they face setbacks and challenges? Mm-hmm. And this is... This is a really, I love this question because it's important because when we're realistic, the reality is that we aren't perfect people and we're going to have days that we're not on track or that we fall off. And so a couple of things that we can do is give ourselves the grace to be human. And sometimes the best laid plans don't end up happening and that's okay. So it's really about giving ourselves the grace, but then being mindful that one day deviation doesn't become two, then three, then four, then five, right? So giving us that time, but making sure that we're not just sort of in a slippery slope to really veering off course just because of that one bad day or one bad incident or something like that. And then the other thing 
I think is that um, what we see in terms of behavior changes that we tend to procrastinate more when we are in a bad mood. And so if we're trying to do a new behavior or do something that we want to do, and we're just not in a great mood, then knowing that it's like, okay, maybe the first thing I need to do before I try to force myself to take some action is to try to shift my mood. So maybe that means, you know, going for a walk or playing with your dog or spending, you know, 10 minutes watching funny videos on YouTube, whatever it is. Sometimes if we can shift our mood before we start to engage in those behaviors or to do the things, it actually, in the long run, one, makes it more likely that we'll do it and two, that we'll actually enjoy it. And it's interesting, like we even see like, from the mental perspective, often in the military, when people are trying to teach the um, the military recruits to toughen up, a lot of times they'll have optimism training as opposed to you maybe think like hand-to-hand combat or something like that. But they understand that the mindset that we go into something is so important. And when we can try to prioritize feeling positive when we are beginning those activities, we're much more likely um, to succeed or when we're faced with a challenge or a setback to be able to overcome it. Mm-hmm. And as a health and happiness researcher, what advice would you have for individuals aiming to make positive lifestyle uh, changes in their in the coming year? I love this question, and I think especially as a happiness researcher, when I sort of look at life through a happiness lens, right? And a lot of us, and a very common resolution is, I want to be happier this year. Um, and so when we think about that, I think the first thing to really understand about happiness is it's not a destination, right? It's not a something that we arrive at one day if something happens. Happiness is a practice. It's more like a habit. It's something that we actually have to work at. Like sometimes I see on social media, for example, it'll be like a quote card and it'll say like, choose happy. And I always say, no, like what we know from research is it doesn't work like that. We don't wake up in the morning and choose happy mm. and choose our shirts, right? We actually have to work at it. And the other really important thing is that we can't be happy all the time. What we know from research is that one, we cannot be happy all the time, but two, no matter how happy or happy you are right now listening to our conversation, each and every one of us have the capacity to be happier than we are. And it takes effort and it doesn't just happen to us, but just like any habit, any behavior change at any time of year, when we actually start to have the awareness of what are the things that I enjoy doing to make me happy and then to actually take that action to do those things because um, that's when we actually start to see meaningful change is when we, we think, okay, well, where in my day do I have one more opportunity to do something that makes me happy? Because if you do one thing per day, at the end of the day, at the end of the year, pardon me, you have 365 more things than you did last year. Mm. And so it's a slow, gradual change, but I think that all of us, you know, especially at the beginning of a new year, have this opportunity to really start to think about, okay, what are the things that are important to me? What brings me joy? What makes me feel good? What makes me feel happy? And then what are some of the smaller things, right, to reduce the uh, the sort of middle problems that we have that we talked about earlier to do to actually sort of move towards those goals? Um, is happiness always a positive condition to... To, to strive for? Doesn't sadness um, and grief ha- have uh, have a place uh, in our lives? A positive mm-hmm. place I, in our lives? Absolutely. And I love that you asked this question because just like how earlier I said, you know, you know, it's impossible to be happy all the time. It doesn't even make sense to be happy sometimes. Like if you're at a funeral, it doesn't really make sense to be happy, right? Mm. Sadness, grief, those sort of emotions tend to match that situation. And even... Sometimes if you think about when 
you're feeling really determined or you're like I think about when I was writing a PhD about happiness and you're in the final stages and you're doing all the editing that's not fun I didn't feel happy even writing a PhD about happiness when I'm checking spelling and grammar mm. but the focus and the effort in the end paid off because I talked about that eudaimonic happiness, right? Like the happiness that kind of requires work. In the end, it's a lot more satisfying to know how many hours I put into editing this document. And so sometimes, especially when we're working towards some of the bigger goals or the goals that require us to stretch, then we're going to feel emotions that aren't happiness. We're going to feel fear. We're going to feel maybe courage, we're going to feel maybe having moments of self-doubt, moments of self-confidence, we're going to go through that because what we know from research is that it's healthy, normal, and a good thing to actually experience the full range of the emotional experience. And so knowing that, I think that that gives ourselves grace because some days we don't feel happy. And if we're not feeling happy on a day, like, I don't know, like, have you ever had a day when you wake up and you're just not feeling happy and you try to pretend to be happy? At the end of the day, you're much more exhausted, right? Because we're trying to force emotions that weren't there. Hmm. And so, yeah, there's a time and a place for all sorts of different emotions. And they all are just information that are helping us learn how we feel. And they're all constantly changing and in flux. And that's sort of one of the beautiful things about sort of healthy psychological functioning is that we are able to allow ourselves to experience that full range. The thing is, we just don't stay marinating in some of the more challenging or difficult emotions for weeks or months or years. Mm. That's when things can kind of be a slippery slope from there. In your research and in your work, uh, are you finding that people are generally becoming more happy or are you finding that people are struggling with this? Are we generally uh, becoming a, an unhappy uh, world or uh, is, it, is it the opposite the case? You know, that's such an interesting question, and I think it's sort of one of those things where, um, to tap into the wisdom of Spider-Man, uh, mm. where he says, you know, with great, great power comes <laughs> great responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have more research that's ever been available in terms of happiness than we've ever seen. We have, across the world, seeing things like people having positions in government concerned about the happiness of citizens. We have, in workplaces, moved towards you know mental health and normalizing and opening up conversations. So we're seeing this you know really much more uh, mental health happiness conversation at the forefront and normalized than we ever have. At the same time, we also, you know, have these devices that are around us all yes. the time, right? We have social media yes. that we also see from research that, you know, if we spend, the more time we spend on social media, we tend to be less happy. And so we're sort of pulled at both ends and it becomes a question of what are we doing with our world so that it becomes our master, we're not the servant. Because when we are, it, it definitely is a slippery slope into less happiness, but when we can leverage these things to use them to our benefit, it can actually enhance it. So it's not a question of, you know, overall, but for each and every one, you know, does, are we happier than we ever have been or not? But it's for me personally, individually in my life, am I doing things to do more of the things that make me happy and less of the things that don't? Um, and so we're seeing a variety of people approaching it from a variety of different ways because part of the challenge with social media and all these devices is we were not born with an instruction manual on how to use them, right? So we have to figure out mm. how to navigate these things so that they're enhancing our life as opposed to detracting from it. Uh, my question was, I mean, really within the context of the development that we, we are experiencing, 
new technology, the easy access of food, entertainment and what have you. Is that really making us more happy? Uh, that's basically what my, my, mm. the context of my question was. Uh, is that making us more happy? The material benefits. Okay. Material. So that's even a more complicated question, mm. too, because adding another layer of complexity onto your mm. already, uh, you know, complex question is that there are cultural differences around the world in terms of what makes us happy. Uh, so we look in North America, for example, a lot of uh, happiness there is sort of driven by achievement and performance and me and I and ego and I did this. But if we sort of hop across to, you know, say China or Japan, where it's a more collectivist culture, people are more in community and it's, it's how do we do things. There's more social support. So even within, depending where we live in the world, what we think about that actually makes us happy can be different. And so in certain cultures, for example, your question about, you know, material things, depending on if they're highly valued or not, that can impact our experience. Of them. Now, the other thing is with material stuff, you know, people ask a similar question, which is, you know, does more money make us happier? Um, and what we do know from research is that, you know, up until a certain point when our basic needs aren't met, then not having things or not having finances, money, material things do impact our happiness. But once our, you know, basic needs are met, we don't see that buying more things, having more things, you know, traveling more, um, you know, eating fancy foods all the time. Those things don't bring us more more happiness. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, Dr. Gillian Mandish speaking to us earlier about happiness and fulfillment. Um, we have to press on and uh, move on to our next topic. It's about if there was a path to peace. Would you take it? It's in the context of what's happening in the in the Middle East. No hiding from the fact that uh, uh, there is a barbaric, horrific com- uh, conflict that is uh, taking place there. Palestinians uh, being bombed to death, seventy uh, percent uh, of which are women and children. Of the twenty-one thousand that have lost their lives, the twenty-one or, th- or so thousand that have lost their lives. Uh, UN resolutions have been tabled, but uh, repeatedly been uh, rejected. Those uh, resolutions that are calling for peace so it is it is quite um, uh, a damning uh, indictment on on what is happening in the world um, i'm pleased to note that we have neil sammons on the line who's a campaigner on uh, palestine and palestine with war and want uh, thank you very much for coming on and speaking to us uh, neil can you hear me Right. Uh, the indicators that I had uh, showed that he is on hold, uh, but perhaps there is a, a problem in the uh, in the works, and that will be uh, sorted out. Uh, I've been told to speak again, and I am speaking, uh, but uh, there is no response. Uh, Neil, can you hear me? I hear you fine. Okay, thank you. Uh, um, uh, thank you for w- uh, very much for coming on. Uh, now, how do you think uh, the ongoing conflict in Gaza has impacted the lives of civilians in the region? Well, um, yes, and good morning. Assalamu alaikum again. Um, since we had a hiccup at the start. Yes, yes. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's staggering. I mean, you, you've mentioned some of um, uh, the statistics of going on, which mm. is kind of a great part of the issue where you have... Um, you know, some 9,000 children amongst the 22,000-odd who've, who've been killed 
almost the entire population has been displaced. Most of those were already refugees, remember, so there are multi-layers of kind of trauma and grief and injustice which the people have suffered. Um, we talked last time I was on about um, food insecurity. You may have seen that the World Food Programme has said that there is um, a um, something called the Phase 5 Catastrophic Hunger, of which there are more people, Palestinians in Gaza suffering than the rest of the world combined at 600,000 Gaza compared with 130,000 in the whole of the world. This is like the brink of a fully-fledged famine and a, a clearly man-made man -made one, one made by the settler colonial regime which is carrying on this appalling genocidal assault mm. on, the, on the Palestinians. People don't know when they will return to their home. Of course there's trauma, grief, anxiety um, and so on. So, um, their lives are um, in a terrible, terrible place. We must do everything we can to, to support them. Mm. That's just talking about Gaza. I mean, of course, we could also talk about the West Bank, Lebanon and elsewhere, which are uh, on, the, on the brink of, of, of worse. And, there's, of course, there's a spike in attacks by Israeli state and settlers on um, people in the, in the West Bank, too. Mm. Um, I was listening to uh, a clip uh, of Julian Assange uh, earlier, and uh, he was uh, um, saying that uh, the media is very much responsible for uh, perpetuating these wars because if it, uh, because people don't like wars, people, the public doesn't want wars, but if the uh, media uh, reflects what people want, then there would be no wars. But if uh, they reflect what uh, certain um, certain um, powers want, then then it's a different different matter altogether. In what ways do you think the media has influenced public perceptions of the Gaza conflict? Yeah, well, I mean, you and your your listeners will know well that sadly, for for many years, there have often been very negative portrayals of Palestinians, Arabs, Muslims in you know like U.S. European um, media films and so on. They're often the the baddies, threats, terrorists, and so on, um, in such stereotyping. Um, and in the, like in the, the, the like the recent and ongoing conflict, um, many of the major media outlets have been almost um, um, kind of voices to parrot the propaganda from the Israeli um, spokespeople, which we know is often just barefaced lies. Whether that's the sorry to talk about it, but you know, the beheading of babies or the El Shifa Hospital being control and command centre, um, and so on. There was you may have seen this very interesting research by Muna Chalabi highlighting the way that the BBC um, and New York Times um, have um, represented the suffering of of Israeli Israeli Jews and Palestinians. So um, detailing the way that. Israeli Jews are generally humanized. We get to know their names, whether they're a mother, a daughter, a brother, etc. Um, something about their lives. Palestinians tend to be numbers without names, and it's not mentioned that they were killed by Israeli forces. And if, if Israelis are killed, um, it, we're told that it's the Palestinians. I listened to an interview with Mark Regev on the, on Radio 4 Today program. It's seven minutes long. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, he's a, he's a former ambassador to the UK and advisor to... Prime Minister Netanyahu, and there was not one difficult question, and he was never challenged by the BBC's foremost journalists. That has happened again and again and again. Sadly, um, also, they have not covered the widespread, frequent genocidal statements made by Israeli leaders. 
which is astonishing. And I think this is this is willful. It's 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 complicit in what's going on. It's taking nothing to try to spread awareness of, of genocide and holding people account for for doing so. And that also goes to the you know our our government and Labour leadership. Mm. Lamentably, thankfully, lots of people are seeing through this. They've got alternative media channels. Many of us, including myself. Um, are kind of devoted to Al Jazeera for its excellent coverage and its many journalists on the ground in, in Gaza. Um, and we do see that despite this, these media portrayals, that support for the Palestinians is extremely high globally um, and support for the Israelis has, has, has plummeted because people could still, still, still see through these lies and they know that it's gone on for for a long time. Mm-hmm. Can, can you identify any long-term consequences that the conflict with Gaza may have on the development of the region? Yes, well, for I mean, for Gaza, it's it's it, it's bleak, and it's very hard to say what's going to happen because that will depend on the you know, ultimate resolution of this conflict. If and it's a it's a big if, of course, but if if the world agreed that we would find a solution, which is one which fully abides by international law, um, as the Palestinians have called for for many many years, then then we're all smiling, especially those in Gaza. The blockade would be lifted. Palestinians would have the right to return the freedom of movement. The development for Gaza and of the occupied Palestinian territory would be huge. It would be would be amazing, and lives would be enriched, and peace and security and harmony would be there for all. Of course, that's going to be blocked. Israel doesn't want that. UK and US, EU um, will do not very much to really criticise um, or stand in the way of Israeli plans. Lamentably, um, so I mean, it's likely to be the case that there will still be some form of blockade. There will be many restrictions on Palestinians returning, on living in dignity, construction, any forms of um, trade in and out of Gaza are likely to be held. And remember that even before this latest conflict, Gaza had been besieged for 16 years unlawfully. That's in the words of the UN. It is. It was already a collective punishment outlawed by international, uh, by the world, mm. before what's going on. Um, so it really needs to be something which is better than what there was before October the 7th. But it remains to be seen um, what will happen, sadly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the situation looks quite bleak. Uh, what role do you think can individuals or communities play in fostering understanding and peace amidst the uh, ongoing tensions in that part of the world? Yes, um, I think they a very, very important role. And I mean, first, I perhaps would, would say I think it's it's important for us to recognise the you know suffering of others, whoever they are, wherever they are, whatever faith or ethnicity, nationality they are from. Um, but also to, to to know what's going to be what, to know what's going on, to be able to filter out the lies and the deceit and the dehumanisation of particularly Arabs, Muslims, Palestinians, and to some extent also of uh, of you know Israeli Jews. Um, but and to be condemning ourselves and in our groups and communities what we know are war crimes and abuses and so on, including when they happen to to, to the other, we must be doing things like continuing to be on demonstrations to call for a ceasefire, to demand that our government calls for a ceasefire, which is the very least which would happen there. We should look at what our you know our ethical choices are. Do we bank in Barclays? If you do, please get out. Barclays is, plays an abhorrent role in supporting the Israeli regime, the apartheid the arms companies involved in um, fueling um, genocidal acts in Gaza and elsewhere. Um, demand that your MPs write to the, the minister to, to stop um, the UK continuing to sell arms to, to Israel. It's astonishing that this has happened. So yes, I, I think while at an elite level, there's still a lot of 
support for Israel, it's clearly misplaced and um, it is undermined by the widespread support in our country and in our, most of our communities with the Palestinians. So I think you know we, we must stay strong in this, we must stay fully allied with the Palestinian people and their correct demands for an end to this conflict and for their rights to be fully respected and then liberation to, to finally come to them. Do you have hope for a better future for the Palestinians? I do, because I think um, like the, the weight of the world or the, the momentum of the world is, is, is with them, it, it's with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day um, we will get there. It might not be in the next, in the next few months, but um, injustice is seen as injustice and it, it will end. The Palestinians are amazing people. I've spent many years with them and um, uh, we, we see important initiatives such as South Africa, now supported by other states in filing a genocide claim against Israel into the National Court of Justice. I think um, as more and more legal mechanisms are brought into play, the uh, war criminals of the Israeli political military mm. uh, regime will be held to account and it will be incumbent upon the nations of the world supported by their peoples to demand that justice comes and Palestinians are liberated. It, it will come. Yes. Thanks very much, uh, 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 Neil, uh, for coming on. I know you have to go now. Um, but thank you very much, Sean, for your contribution. Uh, thank you very much for, for your contribution. And, My pleasure. Uh, and telling us more about this, uh, about what's happening. And I wish you all the best in the, in, in the work that you're doing as campaigner on Palestine with War on Want. Thank you very much. Thank you. Peace to you all. Thank bye-bye. you. Okay, bye. Um, now, earlier on, uh, those uh, before the break, before the 8 o'clock break, uh, we were discussing the question of um, of uh, New Year's resolutions and uh, um, Imam Jalis Khan had primed everybody for <laughs> some more information about that, uh, that jack-in-the-box uh, analogy uh, purported by Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Alpert and he's going to tell us more about it. So those people who think we've missed it, well, don't despair because we're going to try and fit him in and that right now. So over to you, Thank you so much, uh, Brother Valid. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Alpert has this kind of notion of this jack-in-the-box scheme or jack-in-the-box trap that we all fall into during the new years. And it's just that we all have this thing that we kind of, um, uh, we always have these resolutions and we can never really keep up to them. And uh, whenever, whenever time comes, we kind of uh, let the jack in the box. We but we release jack, the, the the jack that's in the box, and we're we're back to our uh, normal habits. This kind of notion has actually been presented by the second caliph of um, the Ahmadi Muslim community. Um, may Allah uh, be pleased with him. And he mentioned the same thing that we we as a community or us as humans we need to be constantly reminded. Uh, to continue doing the good deeds and the the or in this sense the the the, the resolutions that we make and this is something that Miss um, Rochelle actually pointed out and she said maybe it's worthwhile setting reminders for ourselves to constantly have this um, kind of scrutiny on us. Okay, okay, we, we we should be doing this. For example, if you are if you do have resolutions of exercising and losing weight or eating healthy, then we should have constant reminders. Now this is the time to eat maybe a banana. Or um, this is the time I go for a little walk outside. So um, this is something that the second caliph actually mentioned. And he said that, um, and I quote, he said that, um, sorry, and he spoke about how we fall into the -the jack-in-the-box type trap with regard to practicing their faith. 
And he gave the solution to the relapse and stressed and how Ahmadis or us as Muslims or in general uh, need to make their faith a completely personal and individually motivated matter. This is something that we kind of um, need to focus on as well. And we see that in the Holy Quran. It says, so continue to admonish, for admonish always helps. And this is, again, just touching upon this reminding, constantly reminding ourselves, okay, we need to um, we need to maintain the, the path that we're actually following or the track or the resolution that we're actually making um, or that, that we've already made. We need to continue this. Um, the second caliph, he, he well, as, as the practice is of um, the caliphs of our community, they, they deliver sermons. Um, there's no different. Um, today as well. Uh, today we, we will be receiving a, a a sermon of the of the fifth caliph um, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community today as well. Um, and it's observed that as long as the series of sermons last, some effect can be seen amongst people. But once the series of sermons stop, or after a while, um, the, after a while, the effect vanishes and is gone. And this is again, it's just going back to the jack in the box kind of um, kind of uh, uh, metaphor. Okay, um, that uh, whereby a flexible doll, which is the jack inside the box, stays put when the lid is closed. But as soon as the lid is open, is released, the doll instantly jumps back out and you're back to your normal ways. So we constantly need to remind ourselves, okay, this is this is the resolution, this is the path we've chosen. This is what we promised ourselves, because it's, it's a self-promise, this is what we do. This is something that we touched upon earlier as well, that Muslims self-evaluate ourselves at the end of the year. And at the start of the year, we this this period of time is a self-reflection, self-evaluation, and we need to continuously have that. We have to keep that jack jack in the box in check, and uh, to 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 make sure that we are on the correct path. So that's that that was the metaphor, uh, brother Valid, uh, regarding the jack in the box. I found it quite interesting, and I think I think maybe the uh, listeners might find it beneficial as well. I'm sure they they would, and uh, just let's uh, wait for the deluge of uh, appreciation that's uh, <laughs> now going to be coming in. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, we have to um, uh, get back to the other story that we were um, focusing our attention on. Um, if there was a path to peace, would you take it? It's uh, basically focusing attention on the uh, conflict that is going on in the uh, Middle East for those sitting thousands of miles away, uh, seeing images of the brutal cruelties being faced by the innocent people of Gaza may impact us, even uh, bring us to tears. But no matter how connected we feel, it's impossible to feel that real pain of the Palestinians who wish it was as easy as turning off the TV to make it go away. Uh, the actions of major world powers make it apparent uh, that uh, they have effectively ignored the plight of the Palestinians. Uh, not all major world powers, but I would suggest that perhaps uh, those powers that are concentrated in the West uh, are, uh, would be uh, considered to be guilty of that. And so it's become the duty of ordinary people to make sure that the voices of Palestinians do not become lost, that they raise their, their voices for peace. And hence, we have found uh, a lot of demonstration taking place in various parts of the world that are doing exactly that. Uh, for about two decades since being uh, bestowed the mantle of the caliphate, his holiness has been warning against the destructive and self-centered ways which many of the major powers have adopted. And he has warned against uh, injustice and he has warned uh, against um, uh, the, um, the uh, oppression 
that is being meted out by those that are more powerful. His Holiness has been just as vocal in calling for justice and peace in the case of the atrocities taking place against the Palestinian people. He has urged major powers to recognize their duty to establish fair dealings and justice afforded to all people without discrimination. And perhaps the proverbial salt in the wounds in uh, when it comes to this conflict is that the mechanisms and organs exist in theory at least at least to hold uh, countries accountable and ensure that peace is established by way of upholding justice. But currently, at best, they only present an idea of what could, uh, what could be. Um, Mona Abu Amara said in her remarks, when these organs come to be, uh, came to be after the Second World War, those are the values and principles we are asking the world to implement. We are asking for justice, and only with justice can peace come. The problem is that we are denied that justice because with justice comes accountability. With justice comes uh, an end to occupation and apartheid. The average person cannot even fathom the harmful consequences of the war that will result from these injustices. However, all the major powers are well aware of the grave consequences. Yet despite this, there is no in attention given to establishing justice. No one is even prepared to pay attention to this. Uh, reason dictates that we must uh, try something different. As horrifically unfortunate of a rude awakening the uh, current atrocities have been, perhaps it's finally the eye-opener for the world that the message being spread by the Ahmadiyya Caliph, the global ambassador of peace, must now be heeded if we wish to see peace in our time. And the Caliph's way forward is quite simple to understand. While referencing remarks by the head of the Palestine mission to the UK, his owner said, if true justice were to be established, then such things would not transpire. If major powers did not have double standards, then such restlessness and warfare in the world would never happen. Hence, if these double standards are eliminated, then it would bring uh, an end to such wars. Uh, these are the very things which uh, uh, I have been stating, his holiness said, uh, in light of Islam's teachings uh, for quite some time. Uh, sitting afar, no matter how helpless we feel, each and every person has the ability to directly impact a positive change in the world, as his holiness advises. And we must focus a great deal on prayers, as he has said, and we should strive to end injustices with their own, within our own circles, along with prayers. Um, so that's uh, as far as um, the stand of the Ahmadi Muslim community is concerned, uh, a very sensible stand. There is further uh, Islamic uh, viewpoint on this uh, that's going to be provided uh, by Brother Jalis Khan. Over to you, sir. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I think we need to first and foremost understand that Islam literally itself, the meaning of Islam is peace. It's peace and obedience. And uh, we've, we've, you've seen it as well whenever we have guests on the show as well. For example, even today we had uh, um, respected Mr. Uh, Mr. Neil Sammons. Um, he, 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 even him, he, he, he re- um, interacted us, uh, interacted with us by saying "Assalamu alaikum," which means peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, or peace be upon you. Islam literally means peace, um, and us as Muslims, what we do is we we see that Islam has laid the foundation for peace at every level of society, and this includes the relationship between nations themselves. Um, 
And while mentioning this, I think we should look at the Holy Quran and what it says regarding um, the current conflict and what, what, what we should do in, in times of conflict um, when certain atrocities are occurring. Um, the Holy Quran states, and if two parties of, believer, of believers fight against each other, make peace between them. Then if after that one of them transgresses against the other, fight the party that transgresses until it returns to the command of Allah. Then if it returns, make peace between them with equity and act justly. Verily, Allah loves the just. So in this verse, we see that um, God Almighty has stated that two parties or two nations that are in conflict or in a state of conflict, their neighbours and allies should seek to bring reconciliation. And if peace cannot be established through dialogue, then other nations should unite against whoever is perpetrating injustice and use force to stop them. So this, is, again, is just expounding on the fact that we, us as um, us as a Muslim nation, us as Islam followers of, 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 of this beautiful religion, should follow these kind of injunctions. Um, furthermore, in the Holy Quran, it states that just as a society, we need to, we need to uh, this is where the Holy Quran mentions about how to establish a peaceful society, a just society. Um, it states, O ye who believe, be steadfast in the cause of Allah, bearing witness in equity, and let not a people's enmity incite you to act otherwise than with justice. Be always just, that is nearer to righteousness, and fear Allah. Surely Allah is aware of what you do. Again, it's, this is beautifully expounding and just explaining that us as Muslims, us again as the followers of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who is referred to as the King of Peace, um, us as the followers of the Holy Book of the Holy Quran, um, we need to understand that this is the best way to achieving peace uh, and that is through justice and not through enmity. Us, um, as I've just mentioned, um, us as the followers of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, we need to see what the Holy Prophet himself, the Prophet, the great Prophet himself, what he used to do and what um, the things that what maybe what we can we, we can follow in his footsteps regarding peace and justice. And uh, the, just just regarding this point, and uh, an objection is commonly raised that though there may be many valuable teachings regarding the regarding world peace in the Holy Quran, we still remain in need of seeing it. A, see an example of it um, those who follow these teachings um, and we can respond by saying that on one hand the Holy Quran has the teachings that can promote world peace and on the other hand a practical and excellent and excellent implement, uh, implementation of these teachings has been established in the person of the Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and this is where we see that in the Holy Quran it states verily you have in the Prophet of Allah an excellent model for him who fears Allah and the last day, uh, who remembers Allah much. So over here we see that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is a perfect example, a role model of sorts, that was uh, someone that we should be following in his footsteps and to achieve um, greatness and to uh, achieve nearness to God Almighty and creating this, this, this peaceful world that we, we kind of have is, is depicted in the Holy Quran, in a perfect state, the perfect ideal um, um, ideal world that we have this, this is depicted in the Holy Quran and we see it being implemented by the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him we see that all his noble um, all his noble life is, is, is a witness to the fact that he championed peace throughout and despite all opposition and challenges he proved that peace can only be established in the world by following 
Quranic teachings. Both phases of his life, early early in Mecca under opposition and in Medina authority, um, are full of examples on how he turned his followers into champions of peace. We see that Holy Prophet peace and blessings of, uh, of Allah be upon him during during this this period of uh, animosity between uh, Medina and uh, and Mecca. So after after um, after the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and his uh, and his followers, the Muslims faced great um, um, great opposition by the Meccans. Um, by the very wealthy and you know very, um, they had a lot of jurisdiction and authority the, the, the Meccans um, the, the, their opposition um, was so great that uh, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him had to leave Mecca his hometown his, the place of his birth and he seeked refuge in Medina and at one point um, he, he had a dream as well and he also wanted to go to Mecca anyway and he wanted to perform pilgrimage and he he took his, uh, his, uh, his, 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 his small Muslim party and he took them towards um, Mecca, to which the Meccans were aghast. They were, they, they were completely against this. The Muslims are coming back and in, in their numbers as well. This is not going to happen. And this is where the Treaty of Hudaybiyah happened. And Hudaybiyah is a place where we see that um, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, received refuge just outside Mecca. And uh, this is where uh, the Meccans, um, the Quraysh, one by one, they sent their um, their representatives to kind of barter a, a deal to make sure that the Muslims don't enter Mecca. And the and, and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the great the, the greatest personage. He he was very humble and he was very peaceful and he he carried out without without any uh, squabble or any clamor. He 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 tried his best to make a deal for his Muslims to go back to Mecca and, and then perform the pilgrimage that God Almighty has, has, has the injunctions that God Almighty has put upon the Muslims, um, us as well. And uh, he, he really wanted to perform pilgrimage, as, as I've previously mentioned. And uh, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him very calmly. He, he, he respected the, 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 the notion of the Meccans and um, one by one they came and the Holy Prophet tried his best um, um, tried his best to um, try, tried to tried his best to barter a deal, and at the end, um, he did. He did. He he did try. He 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 succeeded. However, he had to sacrifice quite a lot as well. He he wasn't able to perform pilgrimage that year. He had to come the next year, but in result of this, he achieved ten years of peace. This was the contract of Hudaybiyah. He he achieved ten years of peace with the Meccans. And this is this is what we see the personage of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah upon him. It's an, it's an excellent example of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, where in apparent weak conditions were accepted um, part of the treaty, but Allah the Most Powerful turned it into a clear victory. And never did he take the initiative to attack on his enemy without prior provocation. When he was ha- when he was attacked first by others, he would resort to prayer, and only under divine instruction would he go for a defensive battle. And that too only until the enemy's transgression was put to an end. There can be no better example of peace for nature of his character than the fact that he established a very kind of peace and um, uh, the, 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 uh, a very kind and peace-inducing code of ethics of war for the Muslims. And today's so-called world of religion, ethics of kindness and compassion and justice are totally forgotten. 
us, this king of peace, as I mentioned before, he is the only prophet of peace and blessings will be upon him. Is the, the king of peace? He maintained peaceful principles even in the battleground, and thus presented a role model that is guidance for all times to come. Another example is the conquest of Mecca, and it is self-evident. This is, this is a very beautiful example. All his bloodthirsty enemies were forgiven at this time, thus once again creating this unparalleled example for all times to come. The conquest of Mecca is, is foretold in, in, the, in, in, the, in, in Holy Scripture as well, where 10,000 of his companions, 10,000 of his followers, came over to, well, came back to Mecca. And, uh, and you would imagine that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of, uh, of Allah be upon him, would exact revenge. So obviously, someone who has been um, dealt so poorly by his own family members, his own his own people, they they threw him out. They 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 boycotted him for many years um, with no food, no water, nothing. Um, and this was this was very hard times for the whole, for the Muslims and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. But even then, he came back to Mecca and he forgave everyone. He said, "Today's the day that you will all be forgiven." And this, and this was the great victory. This was the great conquest of Mecca. This is uh, we we hear we hear this word of conquest and victory, and we 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 we, we try to imagine this sort of um, where 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 where, where 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 a certain leader uh, he vanquishes his his enemies. But over here, the true victory, the true conquest of Mecca was actually the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, peacefully resolving this and just forgiving. Everyone, and these are the this is this is the peaceful methods that we see the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him trying to implement in his life. We see that a true Muslim, um, so we see that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah, of Allah be upon him summarized the teachings of Islam as that a true Muslim is one from whose words and hands others are at peace. That no hurting or damage is done to anyone from one's speech or actions. This, this, this teaching makes no distinction between Muslims or non-Muslims or colour or creed. A society built up on these foundations goes on to develop into, addition, into national security and peace. And consequently, if all countries of the world go beyond their vested interests and unite on these teachings of the Quran, it can be certainly said that world peace would become inevitable. I think um, I've taken enough time. Um, I'm just going to finish off this quote of uh, the fourth successor of the promised Messiah. Uh, may peace be upon him. Um, um, the fourth successor. Um, um, the, the fourth successor, uh, Hazrat Mizar Tahir Ahmad, um, states that there can be no peace without Allah the Almighty. This is the secret without knowing which there can be no contentment for any individual. Nor can there be any assurance of peace in society. There is no other way that leads to real peace and contentment. It is a fallacy and sheer ignorance that man can survive without Allah the Almighty. If there is no place for God, then there is no then there is no peace. And recognition of this, in fact, is the peak of all wisdom. And over here we 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 see that the the greatest blessing that, that 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 we see that we or the greatest reason why we see that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him reached so much peace in his life in his lifetime and his personage is 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 is, is covered with peace. It's 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 uh, it's, it's absolutely it's, it's it's his personage is peace, and we, we we see that he has he he has followed the injunctions of the Holy Quran, and it's because of these blessings because he had the the support of God Almighty that we see that um, his followers 
are all over the world and uh, we, we can only pray that his fo- his followers um, follow um, in his footsteps and only then we can see that true peace can be achieved. Um, that's, uh, I think no, that's, uh, thank you. No, thanks very much, uh, Imam Dalis. That was very informative uh, and uh, very passionate. Thank you for, and very impressive. Thank you very much for that contribution. Uh, presenting the uh, the Islamic uh, standpoint, the Islamic um, teaching concerning peace, uh, and very well presented. Thank you very much. Uh, well, it's uh, a good way to uh, conclude uh, our uh, program. It uh, means that uh, there is time only now to thank those people who have involved uh, in the production of this particular broadcast. Uh, our producer, Barira Sohail Mansoor, uh, trainee producer, Dr. Sake Bamath, PhD, lead producer, Barira Mansoor, researchers, Aman, Mir, and Tahrim. They're all uh, deserving of her gratitude uh, for the hard work they put in in preparing uh, this program, as is uh, Mr. Muhammad Shafiq, our engineer, to make sure that everything ran smoothly as far as the technical side of uh, this uh, transmission was concerned. Uh, We mustn't forget uh, those people who came on to the show, either uh, before the show started and recorded their thoughts, like uh, Rochelle Isip. Uh, Rochelle Isip uh, is, uh, was, well, is uh, a New York City-based productivity consultant, time management coach, a speaker and author who helps professionals, entrepreneurs, and companies effectively manage their time and resources so they can uh, make more money. Uh, he is the founder and president of the Order Expert, uh, a company that provides live online virtual productivity consulting, time management, coaching, training, presenting, and speaking services. She's also the author of several books. Um, so she uh, was very generous in giving us uh, her her time. Uh, we spoke to her earlier and we shared what she had to say <coughs> with uh, our listeners during the course of this broadcast. And then we also had uh, the uh, uh, the thoughts of Dr. Gillian Mandich. Now, Dr. Gillian Mandich is an award-winning, internationally recognized happiness researcher, speaker, educator, and author uh, with a PhD from Western University in Health Science. Uh, Her uh, primary areas of research were happiness and health, and she was good enough to share her thoughts uh, about uh, resolutions and aspects relating to that with us uh, and uh, to for the benefit of our listeners so we're very grateful for uh, to her as well and then um, for the um, is there war is there if there is if there was a, a path to peace would you take it for that particular story uh, which focused uh, our attention on the conflict in uh, Gaza uh, we had um, the contribution of Neil Sammons. And now he's uh, a campaigner, uh, a, a war on want uh, campaigner. And uh, he was also able to shed further light on certain aspects of that conflict that is happening in the Middle East, particularly when it comes to trying to salvage peace from uh, what seems to be a very dire situation in that part of the world. So uh, thank you to to him. And uh, let's not forget our listeners who stayed with us 
during the course of the program. So thanks to them as well uh, for uh, um, being with us. Um, we will be um, back again, uh, two of us, Imam Jalis and myself, or maybe a combination of some uh, of Imam Taqeer and myself, uh, next week uh, for the breakfast show. And the breakfast show, as our listeners know, uh, is aired between 7 and 9 every weekday. So do join us again. So until next time, it's uh, Assalamu Alaikum from myself and... Uh, Imam Jalis Khan. There will be a short interlude and after that you will have the news.